0: Whoa, before we get started, I want to go over the four sponsors for this episode who make all this possible. They're fantastic, so go show them some love. The first is the best URL in the industry, crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, driving mass adoption. That's why we're all here, right? To get every human on earth a digital wallet and to get them using digital currencies. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and a new card payment. Everything you could want is at crypto.com. They've been longtime supporters of Off the Chain and recently announced a new exchange. So go help them out, download their app from the App Store, or visit crypto.com and tell them POMP sent you. There's nothing better in the world than a company helping to drive global adoption of this new technology. Another part of global adoption is making sure that we secure the various blockchains with computing power. CoinMine has built the best consumer experience in mining. Hands down, no competition. If you want to help secure the blockchain and get started in mining, you can go to coinmine.com slash POMP. Order a coin mine, it'll arrive at your door, and you simply take it out of the box, plug it in, and connect to your Wi Fi. You'll be mining your favorite crypto in five minutes or less. It is honestly magical. I have one running right now here in the office, and it's super quiet, it's got no heat, and every person that comes in the office asks, What is that? Every single person asks. It's a coin mine. The best part to me is that the coin mine comes with a mobile app that's super slick, and the company continues to push over the air updates to the device that add functionality add tokens that can be mined, or increase the efficiency of the device. Similar to how Tesla does car software updates over the air, CoinMine's sending these passively to thousands of CoinMines around the world on a periodic basis. Pretty damn cool. When Farboud and the team pitched me on the idea of an Xbox or PlayStation-like box that could mine cryptocurrency in your home, I was immediately sold. I invested in the business, have a device personally, and keep telling people to go to coinmine.com so they can save a lot of time if they want to get started mining today. And CoinLine has a partnership with our third sponsor for this episode, BlockFi. BlockFi is one of my favorite companies in crypto because they allow users to deposit their assets in a deposit account and immediately start earning interest. Think about it. If you keep your digital assets on an exchange or in cold storage, you aren't benefiting from any yield on the asset. With BlockFi, they allow you to deposit crypto and then get paid interest on a monthly basis in crypto. Deposit Bitcoin and want to get your interest payment in ETH? You can do it. Deposit Bitcoin and want to get your interest payment in Bitcoin? You can do it. The rates at BlockFi are currently some of the best in the industry. You can earn 6% interest on Bitcoin, and you can earn up to 8.6% APY on GUSD deposits. I'm an investor in the company and think BlockFi is building really important and compelling infrastructure. So go check them out at BlockFi.com POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com POMP. And that brings us to the last advertiser of the episode, eToro. These guys have absolutely crushed it over the years. Their founder, Yoni, was one of the original Bitcoin OGs and has been ahead of almost every trend in crypto. He built eToro to help people buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies, but he added a few twists, social trading, copy trading, and virtual trading accounts. Social trading is a feature where every asset available on the platform has its own separate social feed where people talk about the asset, share trading ideas and analysis, and even include various charts or graphs. Virtual trading accounts is targeted at beginners. If you're just starting out and want to try trading with play money, eToro will give you a virtual account with $100,000 in it to test, learn, and get comfortable. And so then that brings us to copy trading, which is by far the coolest feature. This allows you as a user to select any other user's portfolio to copy. If you see someone on the platform you like, you can set your account to mimic their trades. They buy Bitcoin with 5% of their portfolio, your portfolio buys 5% Bitcoin. They sell 50% of their ether position. Your portfolio does the same thing automatically. Copy trading is awesome, so go join the 10-plus million other traders on eToro and start trading all the most popular cryptocurrencies today. They're one of the largest companies in the space, and you can get started by going to eToro.com. Again, that is eToro.com, where the entire team is ready to get you started in just a few clicks. And don't forget, go subscribe to the Off The Chain daily newsletter. You can go to offthechain.substack.com. I write a letter of news, analysis, and opinion every morning that goes out to more than 40,000 investors. See you there. What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Congressman Warren Davidson is one of the biggest Bitcoin proponents in Congress. We recently had the chance to schedule this interview during the Blockland Conference in Cleveland, Ohio. In this episode, we talk about Bitcoin, financial privacy, taxation as theft, debasing currencies, Libra's future prospects, and much, much more. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I'm here uh, in Cleveland, Ohio with uh, Congressman Davidson. Um, super excited to have this conversation because I think you've been at the forefront of really pushing a lot of the conversation uh, in the government. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this.
1: Yeah, thanks for the interest. For sure.
0: Um, let's just start real quick with kind of your background pre-government uh, role and then we can get right into uh, kind of the crypto stuff.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first period of my life, I started out as, a, as an Army guy, you know, enlisted in the Army, went to West Point, went back in the Army as an officer. Uh, but then I got out and got into manufacturing, and certainly over the past you know 20 years, uh, you know, manufacturing has involved a lot of international components for American companies. So that's really what I was doing in 2015. Speaker Boehner resigned uh, from Congress and as Speaker, I ended up running for representative and winning that seat, and so I've been in Congress now since June of 2016.
0: Very cool. Were you do in the Army? I was an infantryman. Oh, awesome. I was in the uh, National Guard and uh, deployed overseas as an uh, as infantry as well very cool yeah so uh and and every soldier i I recently told somebody in uh, bulgaria most of the people are uh mandatory military services like israel etc and i say uh, when soldiers meet each other anywhere around the world they know hey you've been through a lot of stuff that sucks plenty (laughs) plenty of camaraderie (laughs) yeah (laughs) for sure Um, all right so you get into uh into the government seat um obviously doing a whole bunch of stuff here in ohio um at what point do you kind of intersect with bitcoin crypto blockchain etc and what really was kind of that initial interest that drew you in
1: Yeah. So, um, so I got on financial services in, um, January of 2017. Okay. all Right. So in 2017, you start looking at, okay, well, what areas, what issue areas can I step into as a member of Congress and in the financial services space, you know, a lot of, um, you know, Congress ends up, this person ends up being the champion for that, Mm -hmm. this person. And so, you can co-sponsor their bills, but they've already built some momentum on it. So you look for issue areas that aren't taken already. Yep. Well, certainly this is one that isn't taken. And the other thing is in 2017, the uh, ICO market was going nuts. And you know, normally that would be an easy way to have hearings and go into depth. And so as I was pushing for this, we weren't really getting a lot of traction on mm-hmm. the topic. There were a lot of things in banking regulation that needed addressed, post Dodd-Frank, things that were broken. And so Chairman Henserling was focused on those issues. And we eventually got a bill through the Senate, through the House, through the Senate, and got uh, a, a law change that made some significant progress, not as much as we were hoping for in the House, but good. What didn't get done though, is um, you know, a good um, regulatory framework for the blockchain space uh, and um, really tokenized economy, whether it represents a security, a commodity, a currency, okay. anything else. Um, that has gone unaddressed. And so as I lost patience on that, that's when I said, well, I can convene a meeting at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what led to the meeting that produced the Token Taxonomy Act. Got it. So let's talk a little
0: bit about how that meeting came together, who kind of came in there, where, how you solicited feedback, and then we can get into what exactly the Token Taxonomy Act is and kind of where that is uh, currently. But what was the general outreach and like who was in that initial meetings or conversations to actually end up creating this bill?
1: Yeah, so um, the way Congress is structured, you know, you have Um, You know, uh, uh, in my case, an Ohio team, team that works in the district, and then you have a team that works in the D.C. office. Um, A core component of that, of course, is your legislative team and your communications team. Mm -hmm. And so in the legislative team, we had a a legislative director and a um, policy area expert for financial services. Mm -hmm. So the two of them, plus our comms director, plus my uh, D.C. chief, Uh, started started working on um, how to put an event together we Mm -hmm. booked a room at the library of congress and then we looked at who should go and you look at well okay well there's a digital chamber of commerce there's now a blockchain association there are uh, companies that are in this space there are markets where you would want to regulate it Mm -hmm. and prior to that i had already taken trips to like chicago new york boston uh talking to you know early stage companies, Mm -hmm. uh, developed enterprises like Fidelity or State Street that are dealing with custody issues, uh, talked with regulators in D.C., um, you know, members of the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission board. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we started extending invites out to all the people that we had referenced. And we figured, you know, if we get, you know, a dozen, maybe 20 people together, that would be tremendous. Mm -hmm. And initially, you know, that, started to happening but then people said well I'm going to actually want to send our CEO. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? The CEO of this company's coming? Well, we should at least send our general counsel. And so it really just started to build momentum from there. And
0: I think it'd be fair to say you had a pretty good mix of government uh, representation, kind of the lobbying groups or, or the uh, the association community, um, and then also private companies that all came there. Uh, and as you're saying, it wasn't just you know, hey, we're sending our government affairs person, right? This this was a pretty robust group of people who were well educated and, and really had skin in the game, from what I can tell, in terms of like they want to see this be successful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was the goal is to get the right players there, and so we were successful in getting some of the the fintech companies to send. Their CEO, CFO, general counsel, which led to you know, say, you know, like Nasdaq saying, "Well, we're going to send our general counsel." Mm -hmm. Oh, really? They're coming. Oh, well, State Street's going to send, and Fidelity's going to send, and and Andreessen Horowitz (laughs) is going to send, (laughs) and. Horowitz is there? Oh, well, we gotta get our venture firm there. Well, we got, you know, so then it turned into like, you know, we we had to cap it at 50 and there were people calling my staff like 11 o'clock at night, the night before the conference, like you have to get my CEO in there, you know, and uh, they really wanted it. So we had to open it up after the conference. We, A, we live streamed it. B, we had to open it up afterwards and for a call for papers. Mm -hmm. And so we had, you know, universities, I know Wharton came in and met and contributed and, you know, any number of other uh, schools. Uh, I would would say Warren's the business school, the law school at at, uh, Penn uh, helped us a lot, as did several others. And and what was the final product, if you will? So
0: the Token Taxonomy Act as it stands today, maybe just give us kind of a quick overview of what exactly um, you're trying to get accomplished
1: with it, and then we can talk about where it is. Yeah, so if you think about this as a a tree, you know, uh, at some point the tree starts branching out, you get a divergence that fills out the tree, but the trunk, uh is we wanted to go as high up as we could till it starts branching out Mm and well you want to do this so you branch that way this person wants to go that way and uh, but the common denominator goes up a certain level Mm -hmm. so um we wanted to say well we at least have to address when things aren't securities because Mm -hmm. the sec has been doing regulation by enforcement it's been a patchwork Mm -hmm. Uh, they've literally said come check with us cut your own individual deal i mean I, i told uh Jay Clayton that has all the charm and efficiency of uh, third world system. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it is. I mean, it's like you, you know, our system uh, overall is great because you have regulatory certainty. Bang, you do these things. You can efficiently launch a company, open bank accounts, you know, do whatever. But in this space, Uh, It's, no, well, first come check with the SEC.
0: What a horrible approach. It really is innovation by permission, right? And that's a really hard way to innovate when you've got to go check with mom and dad to see, can I do this or can
1: I not? Yeah, and at that base level, that's one of the biggest reasons where uh, entrepreneurs and and frankly venture firms said, look, I'm not putting my capital at risk because I don't know what's going to happen. But I know if I put it in Switzerland Mm -hmm. or Singapore, they have a regulatory framework. So the odd thing is, you know, a lot of times you are seeing companies offshore because of the regulatory burdens of the US or the tax burdens of the US uh, here you're seeing people move offshore to find regulations not to you know not to avoid them but to find some certainty so that's the biggest one you have to get clarity around what is driving the SEC and a big part of that's a Howey test, it goes back to a Supreme Court decision, and it makes everything look like a security to the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly everything in this space. And so, um, like literally only two no action letters issued with hundreds yeah. on, on deck. And so we say, you you, you can know that your um, your token is not a security if it meets four criteria. One, it's already created, not promised. Okay. So I take the money from you, I'm not promising someday I'll create this. It's like, it, Here it, is. it already works, it yeah. does this. Um, Two, it's uh, on a distributed ledger uh, where it's not controlled by a central authority or so it can't Mm -hmm. change the, you can't dilute it, you can't change the mix, whatever, it's already done. Yep. Um, Three is that it's transferable between uh, individuals without an intermediary or third party, including the creator. And then fourth, it doesn't represent a financial interest in a company or entity. So not, you're not, it's not shares. It's not stocks. Yeah, right. right. So if it does that, it doesn't say you're exempt from securities laws. It just says if it doesn't do that, well, you know it's a security. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean, well, now you don't get regulation. No, now you would fall either in a commodity or uh, a good or service in the Federal Trade Commission. And so the, uh, the government
0: usually gets a hard time about... Uh, the policies they put in place, etc. But the name is actually pretty good on this one, right? In terms of what you're trying to essentially do is draw a line and say, here's how we're going to define securities. Here's how we're not going to define the securities, and this framework will allow entrepreneurs to identify which bucket they fall into, so they know the rules of the game that they're playing.
1: Yeah, taxonomy in terms of language, yeah. and a big part of that dealt with. Everybody wants to speak of this whole space as cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and the reality is most tokens, frankly, don't purport to be currencies. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't have aspirations of being a means of exchange even in some cases. Mm-hmm. Some of them represent you know, title to a good or service, uh, title a deed for a property, uh, a license for software, you know any number of things that could happen I mean we haven't tapped all the use cases for the internet we certainly haven't tapped all the use cases for blockchain for
0: sure Um, okay and so where is that bill today in terms of like in the process of going from an idea to actually being uh, put in place and then the other question that I think a lot of people have is like what can they do to help right so kind of where are we and then what can people outside of the government actually do to help
1: get this across okay so there's two other key components I want to mention about the bill one is it gives a de minimis tax exemption Mm -hmm. for currency and it's very important it is very important although it's not as big as we would like it's in line with current law so it's not a change to current law so it's more winnable six hundred dollars so if you were changing from US dollars to pound sterling Mm -hmm. to euros on a trip as long as you have six hundred dollars or less net uh, gain then you don't have capital gains on it Um, and so it does that and then the third thing is it it does is addresses Custody. So, okay. a lot of times in custody, if you want to, you know, use somebody like Fidelity or State Street or you know whomever you use to store some of your investments, uh, you need a third party to be credible for custody. Here, it's challenging because you might have a private key that you could share with multiple people, uh, and frankly, part of the whole point of distributed ledger is to get rid of third parties. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it, it addresses that, and then so how would we move this bill forward the process in congress is um, that you would have a hearing that would include a notice for the bill Mm -hmm. so you would have witnesses that would come and uh, at least part of the topic for the hearing would be to address these bills uh, that are noticed and then you would go to a markup which is specific time devoted to moving this bill where members of the committee could offer amendments Uh, some of some of would totally eliminate the whole point of the bill. (laughs) Some of them are just small tweaks, like, oh, well, you didn't really address this. I wish you would have uh, gone into whatever. Okay, so we'll debate that, we'll add it. Well, I think your language is a little too broad. Maybe we could tighten it here. That's how a product will come out amended and it'll be, okay, now it's the, still be known as the Token Taxonomy Act, but as amended. Got it. And And then, so then the committee would vote on it and then it's available to be put on the floor. So there are a number of bills that make it that far Mm -hmm. that the speaker and uh, majority leader, in this case, Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer, uh, don't schedule for a vote on the floor of the House. Okay, but why why would they do that? Well, they might say, well, it it moves through the committee, but it's really not something that we, it's it's frankly, it's just like a deck of cards. I mean, if if you're a chair of committee like Maxine Waters, you you wanna give the speaker, uh, you wanna give your team plenty of cards to play. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, the speaker and the majority leader, whomever they are, mm-hmm. uh, are like, well, okay, this is a better card to play now, so I'm gonna play this card now. It, it's, it's what
0: people outside of the government think of as politics. Yeah. Is essentially, that's what that's- People get frustrated by it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and and then, you know, while Democrats right now are frustrated, and they say, well, we've passed all these bills, and the Senate won't even give us a vote. I'm like, don't get upset, they did the same to us. Mm-hmm. And we were in the same party, right? Mm-hmm. So you had the Republicans in control of the House, and as I highlighted earlier, with the uh, reforms we wanted to do to Dodd-Frank, we were much more aggressive in terms of what we wanted to do mm-hmm. than what could pass the senate for sure so we had all kinds of bills that went over there and languished and part of why i wanted to work on this area is it's not a partisan topic so as you see the co sponsors on the bill it's just whether you actually understand it or not, which unfortunately might be a bigger barrier than partisanship on this issue. Well, we'll uh,
0: we'll get to that in a second. But um, in terms of as uh, kind of the political process is playing out, right, and I think a lot of people look and say, hey, you and your peers are going to have to kind of be the experts there, right? And Really kind of move this forward uh, with your staffs. Is there anything that the people outside of government can actually be doing? Is this calling up the representatives? Is this um, uh, going to town
1: halls? Like, like, What can they actually be doing in terms of making your job Easier or or just more effective? Well, I think one of the biggest things is um, reach out to your member of Congress and get on their calendar, Mm -hmm. right? So if you get a meeting scheduled with your member of Congress, it drives staff work um, where they come in prepared. I mean, the staff will do more of the prep work, but I'll get a briefing ahead of every meeting Mm -hmm. or at least every day. Here's the highlights, and this is what the purpose of this meeting is. And that'll at least get something on their radar screen. Mm -hmm. And if you can't get the meeting in the process of getting the meeting, Uh, invite staff and members to as many events in the space as you can so that they start to understand the issue. And then, you know, frankly, there are people that are not going to shift their minds right now. uh, Brad Sherman in Los Angeles just became the chairman of the uh, subcommittee on capital markets. Mm -hmm. Well, for this bill to go forward, it has to get through that committee, that subcommittee or around it. Mm -hmm. So we either need uh, him to change his mind or not be in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we need Maxine Waters to change to uh, to say, look, I care enough about this bill, we're moving it. And she has that power, clearly, mm-hmm. that's chairwoman woman of the committee. How, how detrimental do you think to this entire movement is it
0: Brad Sherman coming into that chair? Do you think it's actually um, a pretty big deal and people should be paying attention to it? Or do you think it's uh, it'll grab headlines in the beginning, there'll be some fear mongering going on, but it's actually not as detrimental as maybe some think it is?
1: Well, I think it's really consequential because the you know he's not going to move this bill, mm-hmm. uh, and for sure, yeah, right. So, so at least while um, he's the chair, which is all through 2020, mm-hmm. Democrats, you know, even if Republicans win in a, in a landslide mm-hmm. in November of 2020 uh, and take office in January of 2021, mm-hmm. um, that's still a year burnt mm-hmm. when you could take a nonpartisan bill and move it right now in 2020 uh, and there's really no prospect of moving this yet this year so in 2020 what can we do to move it well we either have to get brad sherman to understand that hey not everything wants to be a currency Mm -hmm. his view is anti-bitcoin very openly hostile to bitcoin as a project but that's because he likes the monopoly that the us dollar gives as the reserve currency Mm -hmm. on power Mm -hmm. sanctions the he, fence very anti-protocol, and, and to be fair, he's very anti any currency, right? Yeah, in that's terms right. Of Libra, Bitcoin, etc. Yeah. It's not, it's not personalized, and yeah. he, he's uh, he, he hates all of it, yeah, right? For sure. And so, uh, if he understands, like, no, this is really more of a securities law, but that's why it would have to go through the capital markets subcommittee. Got it. Right? Or you know, Chairwoman Waters cares so much that, in spite of her chairman's objection, she drives it. That's not a high probability play. So him being the chairman is consequential. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either, I mean, that's the only is this is this is going to yeah. move and then if republicans have a majority patrick mchenry who's our ranking member is very uh on board with the overall framework so the prospects for the bill get much better but that's really personalities more than it is partisanship so i talk about party changing as a path to changing it but the reality is the bill itself is 100% bipartisan yeah Uh, Patrick McHenry uh, and yourself both, I think, a number of the things you guys have said, either on the floor
0: or publicly, um, have taken uh, Bitcoiners uh, by surprise, but in a positive way, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, the the one with McHenry that uh, just shocked me is, uh, I think he said it on television, then he said it on the floor, where he said, look, you can't stop this thing right? And, and it was just so bluntly laid out there, right? That I think that was the first time that a lot of people said, wait a minute, there might be some Bitcoiners in Congress here. Um, but but one of the things you keep talking about and pointing out is uh, people changing their minds, right? Or, or getting educated on this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of folks are of the mindset like, hey, I, I listened to the hearings, right? It's very obvious that 80 plus percent of these people don't understand what they're actually talking about, right? And, and it's an education problem. It's not, um, it's not a, uh, I did the work and I still don't believe in it or I don't understand how it works. It's just I haven't had the time yet to get educated. So what are you seeing your peers and where are they getting their information from? How are they trying to get educated on it? And kind of, what are like the backroom conversations? Are there people saying, Hey, look, I actually don't understand this stuff. Like help me understand it. Or is there just a general ignorance and and just non-interest
1: and even trying to put the work
0: in to to get educated?
1: Well, it it certainly varies by member from this is just not my issue to, Oh, so what is this really about? Mm -hmm. And I will say that Libra was a big help in that. So when Facebook launches Libra, I mean, it's it's a huge um, surge in attention Mm -hmm. Um, clearly globally uh, certainly in the United States and even among members of Congress so we had hearings finally Mm -hmm. that went into depth unfortunately 50% 50% or better, use their time to really bang on Facebook and Camp- Mark the Campaigning. Right. Yeah, whatever, you know. I,
0: I, I joked and I said some people were there to talk about the issues and some people were there to campaign. Right?
1: Yeah, Who would do that in politics, right? So that's why everyone's so frustrated with, I mean, a gazillion other reasons. But, you know, we, here we have this opportunity on the issue and, you know, it, it was not time well used for some members, in my opinion. But, hey, maybe it helped them in their districts, right? So hmm. they know their districts. I don't know it and this is an issue that doesn't resonate broadly with the average american because it's just not on their radar screen yet mm-hmm. but it is going to be huge for our economy i mean imagine if imagine if uh, silicon valley wasn't in america look at all the tech jobs that are in america mm-hmm. the protocols the standards that are based on how america wanted to go about it mm-hmm. that are driving technology all over the entire planet and a massive amount of those jobs not just hardware and software, but the entire space mm-hmm. uh, is benefiting the United States of America's economy. Mm-hmm. And we weren't entitled to that. If you go back to the 90s when they were getting the regulatory framework right, uh, broadly, I mean, uh, overall, worked pretty well they didn't try to understand, oh, so tell me about TCP IP and, you know, how the seven layer security protocols, they weren't trying to understand all that. Mm-hmm. But here with this, they're somehow trying to go, well, so tell me again, how do I do this? And, you know, it's like, no, you just need to understand it as a big thing. And this is the framework that if you just will listen broadly to the space, uh, not just the companies that want to make money, but even the regulator, regulatory framework that isn't working right now, it's telling you it's not working,
0: Yeah. right? Um, well, people are leaving, and, and the thing that I, I always go back to, and, and it sounds like um, you and a couple others are now like, really kind of hammering on, is just look what got America to be America, right? And, and I think it's much easier when um, you've been a soldier, you've been exposed globally, etc. You realize like everyone does not live the same life we live, they do not live in the same uh, regulatory environments, they do not live in a world where entrepreneurship and innovation is encouraged. Right. That's what got us here, right? And
1: all these ideas really matter. I mean, they're really consequential, Yeah. right? And you see places that, well, I mean, they're still the same sort of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone I've met, every culture I've met, everywhere I've met them, uh, you know, they want similar things. They want to be safe. They want to know their family safe. They want to be able to make a decent living without somebody uh, blocking them mm-hmm. from doing that. And they want the next generation to have a better future than they have, mm-hmm. and you know those are pretty common things across everybody. And in general, governments are the entities that mess that up, for sure. Well, and, and um, I
0: want to kind of go abroad, and then we'll bring it back uh, to the United States. Um, talking about governments getting involved in this in a material way, right? So let's start with China first, and kind of their DCEP or their digital wand that they're um, that they've supposedly already created and are going to launch here soon. Like, how do you view that in terms of a government stepping in and the pros and cons of them getting in? involved there and then what's the the global impact that you see and, and where should people be paying attention
1: yeah so uh, if you look at why it's so consequential that the United States get involved um, I mean one as Patrick McHenry highlighted you're not gonna stop it I mean frankly it's like trying to ban the internet right it, it really is almost the same logic of saying you're gonna ban the internet mm-hmm. um, good luck <laughs> yeah, yeah I don't believe that's gonna happen and uh, and and frankly I do believe that blockchain is secure and so people a lot of times will say well how do you value blockchain it's essentially I believe the Internet's gonna endure and I believe that this is gonna be a secure place to store this value Mm -hmm. how much do I believe that I believe up to whatever the market value is Mm -hmm. fundamentally that's not as easy to value as the net present value discounted cash flows right Uh, it was a debate about what's the right discount rate Mm -hmm. Um, so people people debate about that and Right now, all that is at stake. Is that going to be a market-oriented approach, or is it going to be a central government-run authoritarian-style system mm-hmm. using things that give the appearance of not being authoritarian and central control? Yeah. So, uh, you know, while it might feel more free than what some countries are experiencing today— um, behind the scenes because they have no respect for civil liberties and privacy mm-hmm. um, you know they are totally permissioned in terms of who can get on mm-hmm. how they can get on how they can get off whether transactions are approved and this goes back to the core protection on privacy um, they are trying as a framework for this to uh, have a social credit score so it's not just creditworthiness; it's do you do the right things or you know you say good things about the government or you know, are you? Yeah, it's basically like this dystopian
0: future where if you go really far out and you say, "Hey, what they're going to do is they can have a uh, electronic payment system, which is essentially just a digitized one that they control, that they've got um, complete." oversight and insight into so they know what you're doing when you're doing it with who. And then they link that up to the social credit score that says, hey, you jaywalked today, mm-hmm. right? Now you can't go buy candy at the store, right? right? You know? Yeah,
1: or you blend it with every other piece of data and it's like, look, you're clearly associating with these people. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look in Hong Kong, I mean, they took their uh, octopus cards mm-hmm. and they quit using them, the digital version for sure, and started just buying stuff with cash. Yep. So does it maintain features of cash? Cash. Yeah, and if everything becomes so ubiquitous that it's permissioned and controlled by a central authority, some, some, I mean, some members of Congress like that. They mm-hmm. believe that keeps us safer, mm-hmm. right? That's how we keep it, keep everyone safe. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, then it, then you enable these dystopian futures. And so the idea: are we going to go with a system that truly is decentralized, where just like a twenty dollar bill? Uh, you and I can exchange it with no one's permission. And frankly, no one really needs to know. Is there a protection of privacy? So I think privacy is foundational to this. Mm-hmm. And I think the United States moving in a way that respects what got us here. Civil so mm-hmm. liberties got us here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you look at companies that make things people want. Well, I mean, people do want privacy. Look at how Apple's marketing has shifted. Look mm-hmm. at the blowback against Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the concern over Libra. A lot of that went to the center of uh, of the concern of saying, wait a minute, you're not gonna filter my financial transactions, like you're filtering my information, right? Yeah. And uh, China's future is definitely filtered. So the question is, could we do something similar in the United States of America? Could we enable uh, a grand scale of innovation? We certainly have the companies, uh, we have the talent, we have the education systems, and we have the capital to make all this happen, we do not have the regulatory framework. Mm-hmm. And and so I think part of this is,
0: we pretty much know how China is going to evolve this, right? And, and they'll put some you know lipstick on the pig and, and do all of what they're gonna do, but they're gonna digitize the currency and they're going to go ahead and, and release this thing and they're gonna have a lot more oversight into the financial transactions. Uh, and frankly, just take the privacy from citizens even further. When you go to Europe, that now you see the French Central Bank saying, hey, maybe we're gonna test this in Q1 with uh, more corporate clients, you see the BIS or the ECB, mm-hmm. Everyone now is kind of saying like, oh, wait a minute, this may be a thing. And so, you know, kind of two, three years ago, everyone had to have a blockchain strategy. Now it seems like every monetary related organization saying, well, we need a central bank digital currency strategy, right? Um, The US has, frankly been somewhat lagging in their public comments around this i know you've been a big proponent of like a digital dollar um, but a digital dollar not meaning hey we just have electronic cash or something that's for surveillance maybe describe a little bit about what you mean around a digital
1: dollar and why you think it's important well so my version of uh, what we would do with uh, frankly fiscal policy and monetary policy are are different uh, Mm -hmm. than what we're doing i mean so frankly uh, you know I mean, we didn't get $23 trillion in debt as a country because one party's good on the issue and the other isn't. Mm -hmm. But the fiscal policy is driving monetary policy to pay for all of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're essentially printing money, quantitative easing, which is destroying the store of value. Mm -hmm. You're destroying the whole point of money. Mm -hmm. I put the money into this dollar, I get paid in this dollar, and I save for my future in this dollar. Mm -hmm. But actively, central bankers are undermining the value of my dollar. And, and it's been the fall of every currency in the world is the debasement of it, right? That's over, right. Over time. And frankly, history proves that deficits do matter. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Congress broadly goes about its business day to day as if deficits don't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And, well, so, and, and, and because in the short term, we can just print more money to close the gap or solve
0: the problem, uh, but it's getting lost in the weeds a little bit from you know what actually matters.
1: Right. And so, as you highlight, look, digitizing the dollar doesn't inherently prevent that mm-hmm. but if you tokenize it in a way that was truly distributed you could certainly diminish the uh, the um, kinds of interventions that central bankers do mm-hmm. so I'm not morally opposed to central banks being involved in um, sovereign countries uh, but I don't like some of the interventions they've done mm-hmm. um, any examples well, I mean, so, for example, right now in the repo market, it's um, uh, like a layup for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if only there were something going on that was undermining trust in the financial system.
0: Yeah. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right. Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, mother mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell them Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry. Your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you gotta do is go to coinmine.com, you buy a coin mine, it's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right, you purchase it, it shows up at your doorstep, you pull it out of the box, you plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi. five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over the air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp Setcha, you, and thank me later. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. I mean, my, my favorite is, uh, was it Jerome Powell said uh, that th- it's not QE, right? Yeah. And, and uh, then you look at the charts and you're like, well, what is it? then? Because seems to be okay. like we're adding a lot of assets here. Yeah. Speaking of the taxonomy, yeah. <laughs> what's this word you're using? True. Um, and, and, and so as you see this, I guess, there's kind of um, the path we're on then there's a path of like there's a digital dollar do you see a middle ground where um, you know there's countries uh, and it's a sensitive topic because um, Venezuela specifically has done a bunch of bad shit, right? And we've levied a lot of, um, of sanctions etc on them and, and a lot for good reason, but um, They've talked about putting actually Bitcoin and even ether possibly in their uh, reserves, right? Mm-hmm. And, and kind of backing some of the currencies etc Do you see like kind of that as a middle ground here in the US where we say look we can use Use, um, some of these decentralized non manipulable uh, currencies or assets as part of the reserves or do you think it's more of we've got to make a major shift and, and the kind of baby steps between here and that major shift just won't get it done
1: yeah so what's gonna drive this in the future um, so for me I look at the, the, the time horizon we're on one uh, we don't have five years to deal with faster payments right so the Fed and the Fed F- now it, yeah <laughs> Fed now stuff look like, this is gonna happen uh, somewhere. It's just clearly, if that's the mindset in America, it's just not gonna happen here, Mm -hmm. right? And some people are okay with that. It's like, we don't have to be the first mover on everything, maybe we could be a fast follower when everybody else crashes and burns and does does the wrong way. Okay, I mean, I would rather us be the leader on it, but I I can at least respect that from a well-informed person. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you look at where we're gonna go, the reality is in our financial system, uh, we have a solvency issue uh, in the United States Cash flow quits working really fundamentally between 2027 and 2032. Mm-hmm. Uh, virtually every macro economist will tell you that's the reality. Is so how do we deal with it? Mm-hmm. Right. So how what are we going to do? And the other mm-hmm. thing is, if you look at whether it was Libra or um, uh, you know the the uh, Christine Lagarde when mm-hmm. she was at IMF now European Central Bank leader, synthetic currencies are popular. Uh, because it undermines the US dollar as the world's reserve currency Mm -hmm. and most everyone else knows look well we're we're clear it's not gonna be the RMB we're clear it's not gonna be the euro maybe if we all band together it could be the synthetic currency Mm -hmm. and it's basically
0: we've been in a position of power for so long and we've taken inch by inch more and more of okay we have this currency everyone's dependent on it so like why don't we use that as a weapon
1: Right, and we have, and it's been useful uh, for a lot of things. And look, I, I, I've supported sanctions mm-hmm. against you know like Iran and North Korea and uh, and Russia. And I mean, there there these tools are valuable; they're useful. They certainly help modify behavior, mm-hmm. and have been helpful in doing that. So, mm-hmm. and then once the behavior is modified, to me, you have to be able to move forward, which mm-hmm. we did with uh, you know with with Russia in cases. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what happens in a world where
0: let's say that the U.S. dollar does diminish in importance and uh, the U.S. loses that, because uh, I think Brad Sherman's a perfect example. Like, what he's worried about, at least what I can tell, is he's worried about the U.S. losing the ability to weaponize the dollar.
1: That's, right? that's exactly right, the ability to use the dollar the way we're using it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, um, you know, the petrodollar, really when you look at um, Nixon, we moved off of the gold standard, uh, the Bretton Woods framework for money, mm-hmm. and we went to the petrodollar, mm-hmm. and frankly, Uh, all the major oil contracts in the world are settled in U.S. dollars, which Mm -hmm. is great. It de facto creates uh, a a reserve currency for the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. That's the big enabler of -hmm. this is what is it backed by? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, oil, Mm -hmm. petro. And, And so if you look at the framework, you go back to Gaddafi, I mean, a big part of Uh, why he posed such a threat wasn't terrorism it was the idea that if he united africa and the idea that there was going to be an african currency in all their oil natural resources you know gold diamonds you know rare minerals and everything else were only settled in the african currency that would have been a really big blow to the u.s dollar yeah if you look at part of the concern that brad sherman and others rightly have about china Um, they want to change that system Mm. so that the dollar is not the reserve currency and look when the dollar is not the reserve currency we can't spend more money than we have we can't attract as much money for our debt Mm. we're already running into that so we've bridged it with quantitative easing the Fed printing more money to buy uh, dollars uh, buy our treasuries Mm -hmm. when the demand really isn't there but the demand talk about the demand going away when the dollar isn't the reserve currency that's really gonna force the crisis. So why is that framework there? Well, one, it's gonna happen anyway, because even at the rate we're able to borrow right now, we run out of runway uh, in the next Mm decade-ish, right? But two, if actors, whether it's uh, Christine Lagarde, in combination with uh, China's uh, central authority, Mm -hmm. come up with a synthetic currency in Saudi Arabia, and Africa, and everywhere else, goes with the One Belt, One Road Initiative framework, Mm -hmm. and starts settling in things that aren't U.S. dollars, it's going to undermine the demand for dollars. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to be able to have the same kinds of deficits we've had. And that's going to change fundamental way of life for America.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm really interested in, um, and, and it went pretty uncovered uh, in the media, but, but there was a couple of like crypto outlets that covered it. Um, I think it was uh, 2017 or beginning of 2018, I think it was uh, Argentina and Turkey settled a um, bilateral trade. Uh, it was very small. It was like less than $10,000 for uh, some pesticides. They settled it in Bitcoin. And as I thought more about that specific transaction, it was, you know, you can almost imagine the conversation, right? Like, hey, I don't trust you with your currency and your currency sucks. By the way, you don't trust my currency and my currency sucks. So, like, why don't we use this other thing that we know no one's manipulating that's fully transparent? And so let's just settle on that currency. To me, it feels like the more that there's these currency wars and currency manipulations, et cetera, around the world, and, and, and you get these kind of private meetings and people trying to come up with what's the solution more and more people
1: just start saying, like, hey, I don't trust any of this. Like, I just want to opt out. Oh, this is the beauty of it. And it's almost as if, I don't know, Satoshi Nakamoto envisioned this future. Right? I feel like the politicians are helping a lot, man. (laughs) So, if you look at central bankers undermining the value of everyone's currency, I mean, good grief. Most, I mean, look at the Europeans. Look at Mm -hmm. countries around the world. They have negative, look at Japan, negative interest rates. I mean, we have negative real rates, right? Mm-hmm. So no one really believes that the treasury, that the, the, the uh, ten-year treasuries should sell for less than two percent, mm-hmm. because they don't believe that rate of inflation is going to be less than two percent. Mm-hmm. So then you have a negative uh, real return with a positive nominal return mm-hmm. on on uh, U.S. treasuries right now. But in other countries, the central bank has intervened and they have taken the like thirty-year zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Germans are issuing a thirty-year zero bond. I mean, this is, is, uh, and the Japanese have negative. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you get to pay to store your cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, when you look at the the intervention of this, I think that's where, in a way, Libra is attractive, a synthetic currency for all these countries. Mm -hmm. But what's the, I mean, what's already created? I mean, Bitcoin, it's a massive piece. So, something about this framework, as central bankers prove themselves less and less trustworthy and more and more predictable,
0: yeah. Uh, well, and it's also um, the structural component of Libra in terms of a distributed currency or a decentralized currency um, that's adopted, that, that isn't manipulable, that's transparent, etc. All the things that Bitcoin has. But Bitcoin's one advantage is, uh, one, it's got the network
1: effect already. And two is you can't call Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress. right? You well, can't that, call him in front of that's exactly right. And you look at any of the other things that would come along. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, virtually everything of scale. Like Libra could be just because Facebook's behind it, mm-hmm. um, you know. But they still want to keep that control. Yeah. They don't truly want to let go. Yeah, right. And well, then then it's alterable. Mm-hmm. So it's not a truly decentralized system.
0: What, what um, how do you think Trump plays into this? Right. So one of the somebody recently said to me, they said, uh, you know, nobody gives the credit or the understanding that uh, we're actually super lucky, if you believe in this future of Bitcoin and decentralized currencies that aren't manipulated, et cetera, to have the President of the United States currently tweeting so much about currency devaluations, manipulations of economies, et cetera. And he's been public about not necessarily being a Bitcoin fan, but the fact that he's highlighting issues that Bitcoiners are also highlighting, um, that's driving a conversation. Do you buy into that at all, or do you think that he's more dangerous than he is helpful?
1: Well, I mean, I think he's serving the same kind of role that advocates of destroying the value of money are. I mean, mm-hmm. he's pushing for our Fed to copy other central banks and, frankly, destroy the value of our savings, mm-hmm. our money. Um, so taking negative rates isn't there. And, frankly, it doesn't even do that much for the economy uh, except blame shift. So it's all the Fed's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and, frankly, I don't think the the downsides in the economy are um, – are driven by the cost of money right now. They're driven by uncertainty. A big factor for the United States is trade, mm-hmm. uh, and another big factor is political uncertainty. I mean, the difference in policies between what um, you know, Donald Trump would continue to do uh, with great effect, great results for America's economy, uh, versus what, frankly, the, the Democratic presidential debate stage to me looks like 15 or 20 different ways to destroy America's economy, with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders being the most aggressive? I, my, my favorite part is this whole wealth tax thing. And, and uh, I've been very uh, kind of public with
0: um, a lot of people in the crypto community that uh, forget all the politics for a second. All I keep hearing when I hear wealth tax is we're going to take money from some of the best capital allocators in the world and give it to who is most notorious for being a, a really bad capital allocator. Right. right? right. And I just, like I'm just uncomfortable with that idea.
1: Yeah. You've done so well with your money. Why don't we take it and uh, destroy all of it? Yeah. yeah, that's what I say. You're destroying the. But, but, but it also brings up
0: like MMT, right, and kind of modern monetary theory and, and this idea. Um, if you go and talk to like a Ray Dalio, etc., right, like he, he's. He, he fell off the cliff, and although he doesn't talk about Bitcoin specifically, like he basically makes the case that okay, we've got quantitative easing, we can cut interest rates, we're going to do all of this in the next recessionary period. Uh, it's not going to have the effect we want, and so what do we do? Well, rather than create money and then um, go buy assets, why don't we just give it to politicians to basically just give it out to people, right? And that seems to be an area that's maybe a little bit more like hyperinflationary type situation um, than not, like. Do you see that as a real possibility or is that more maybe kind of the, the capital markets looking and saying like, you know, trying to predict the future?
1: Yeah. And you know, the scary thing is I see it's a possibility that we as a country would do it because frankly, other countries have done it. Mm. Modern monetary theory is essentially already been tested like any number of socialist right. ideas. Uh, and, you know, I don't... Did it work? No. It, it, it worked to destroy... It worked to give power to the people that sold it, uh, but it totally worked to destroy the economies. Yeah. It, and, uh, and so it's, it's a dangerous idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and frankly, the idea that it's, it's gaining in popularity with people yeah. that, frankly, are smart enough to do the math yeah. and read the history... It is shocking to me. Well, and and you used
0: the word dangerous, which um, I I actually wrote today, uh, this idea of um, money is an idea that is too dangerous for school. And and what I was talking about in there is, uh, if you think about everything you're taught in school, you're not taught nothing about money, even economics courses, et cetera. They don't teach you about where money came from, what is money, right? Um, How how is it actually uh, kind of the rules of the game of, Mm -hmm. of, of life and wealth, et cetera. And it goes back to the Henry Ford quote of like, if people actually understood the banking and monetary system, there'd be a revolution before the morning. Right <laughs> of just like the the inflationary like tax on the wealth and and, and all of these components that um, I think the Bitcoin community people get sucked in whether it's through price or, or some other uh, ethos driven thing they then go do the work to figure out like what is money and why does it matter right but there's a major a very very high majority of Americans who have no clue how money works right and they don't understand that these ideas they sound great because yeah you may get some money up front but how detrimental they can be and, and how destructive they can be.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's where I say, you know, if you want to defend freedom, you have to defend money, mm-hmm. right? And that's the concern I've got uh, with central banks and their actions. They're actually destroying the whole premise of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, monetary, moneta- modern monetary theory is openly hostile to the whole premise. Yeah. What would you do if, if you kind of
0: were completely in control, etc.? What do you do to preserve the U.S. dollar? And then what do you do in terms of
1: Bitcoin specifically? Like, how does the United States interact with Bitcoin in an ideal world? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to get our privacy laws right. I mean, that that even in in our current banking framework, um, we've essentially deputized uh, all the banks to spy on their customers, uh, but it's for our safety, right? And, and it's funny that, to me that soldiers talk about
0: this the most, right? The people who you would think are like gung ho on uh, safety and, and protecting the country, etc. They're actually usually the most staunch privacy folks because they've seen the other side of it. You see what
1: happens with the people <laughs> with this much power, yeah. you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. This is a system of absolute power mm-hmm. This is a total system of control over the population. Mm-hmm and yeah you want to stop bad people i mean uh, no one's more passionate I mean, you know you and i were willing to fight a war mm-hmm. wars over uh keeping america safe uh you know and and so are thankfully so many other people in our country voluntarily to go commit to serve mm-hmm. and then go do whatever our country asks of us while we're in uniform For sure. um and and so people buy into it but to your point a lot of people do get it uh, because of that so one you have to get privacy protections right two uh, we need to um, you know frankly deal with the fact that we have um, an economy that depends on uh, the federal government spending more money than we have i mean if you think if you go cold turkey and cut off the trillion dollars above i mean we're going to collect about three trillion 3.2 trillion in revenue and we're going to spend like close to four and a half trillion Dollars next. if it year. was a business those numbers don't work you can't do it every year right or even a household right like okay so i make 30 grand i'm going to spend 40 grand every year like no you can't do that every year right and and so you you, you add the numbers up it's essentially similar logic um, unless so, you can create more money <laughs> yeah, well right or you can keep getting loans right you get a exactly. new credit card offer a yep. new credit card offer and you can Extended and, uh, you know, but as uh, Herb Stein famously said, if something can't continue, it will eventually stop. <laughs> and hey, it's like it's like uh, it's like jumping off a building at the fall. Isn't uh, isn't bad. Probably it's the sudden deceleration. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Bang. And, and when the economy stops putting that trillion dollars worth of extra cash or two trillion, which is where we're headed, um, you know, households will feel that. So we need to be responsible about how we unwind the current system. And you know, starting sooner is better than starting later because the course corrections can be less aggressive with time, right? For sure. So if you're walking towards a mountain, you can divert a little bit and miss it. But if you're right on it, I mean, you're stuck. Yeah. So uh, we have to do that. And then I think the, 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 uh, there are a number of ways to do that, um, but most of it involves controlling spending, not necessarily revenue. I mean, you saw the, the uh, tax system we've got, and you talked about the wealth stack tax the idea that the government is owed this money has shifted. I mean, look at the whole systems of taxation Mm -hmm. and how hostile they are to privacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, wealth tax, very hostile. We know everything about you, Mm -hmm. how much money you have, estate tax right behind it. You paid taxes your whole life, but we're going to tax you more Mm -hmm. income tax. We know everything about how you make money and everywhere you make it, including capital gains in our system, Mm -hmm. uh, what you bought and sold, and that'll all net out. So we'll pay tax on your income, payroll tax, somebody paid you money or wait, I was gonna, I, I wanted to pay someone, uh, you better tell us and report mm-hmm. to the government. Uh, property tax, you never actually own your property, you're really renting it from the government. If you make improvements upon it, then, uh, you know, then we'll pay pay even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go down to sales tax, did you buy or sell something? I mean, you get down to the early systems of taxation in the country, you know, it, while I don't like tariffs, tariffs are taxes, it's probably less invasive of privacy than most of the other systems. And that's really early on a lot of what our government did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think you have to really get to a system that has a stable, um, predictable amount of revenue Mm -hmm. that isn't antithetical to the whole civil liberty framework, the system of control that we've got. And we need to spend within our means. And we have the talent and innovation to do these things in America. If you look around the world, look at part of what Hong Kong did um, it wasn't they had all these great natural resources. Look, mm-hmm. at we have so much more to work with. They created a smart regulatory framework. Mm-hmm. Now, China's actively destroying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we do that, America's economy will continue to flourish. That's what we did in the first place to mm-hmm. make America flourish. It, it
0: really is. Um, it's just like building a business. It's just like um, you know, running a, a campaign, et cetera. It's just get the best people working in the right direction. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what you're doing is using regulations to incentivize people to come to our country, to build things that are innovative and to change the future, right, or improve the future.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the, the dialogue we've got in the country, why language matters so much, you know, people say, well, that's all we're doing. We, we just believe that everyone should have this and the government should pay for it. No, I mean, you're using the law to do something that inherently it can't, which is part of why I like Bastiat so mm-hmm. much. You're taking essentially a system where if you took the money yourself or with a group of friends that would be theft mm-hmm. right but if you pass a law it's not theft It's, it's legal plunder right mm-hmm. so you're, you're and to say well but if you don't do this you don't care about people no i mean you, you charities when you do things mm-hmm. not when you take someone else's resources to do them uh, and, and, and particularly in a system where you don't even use your resources yeah, to do my, it. My, my favorite
0: thing around the uh, wealth taxes, I'm still waiting for uh, one of the people pushing that idea to sign the, uh, the 99% giving pledge Right? Were they going to give away 99% of their wealth? Because I haven't seen that yet. They, they seem to be pretty good about taking everybody else's wealth, but they're not necessarily giving all of theirs.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Amity Slays in her book, Forgotten Man has a nice introduction uh, in that before just a little foreword. it says, you know, you know, uh, the forgotten man is C. You know, it's A and B getting together to decide mm-hmm. what C is going to do. For sure. Uh, and, and so a couple more questions for you before I let you go. Um, the first
0: is around mining. So we're seeing in uh, in other countries um, a pretty big effort in terms of uh, putting national resources towards um, just becoming a large contributor to the computational power of uh, the Bitcoin network or uh, to some of these other networks. Is that something that you see the U.S. eventually getting into? Is it something that you'd like to see them doing? Kind of wh- Where do you see that, um, that, that industry playing into all this?
1: Well, personally, I think we should, I don't know that the U.S. government should necessarily do it, but I do think we should create a system where uh, mining is uh, attractive in the U.S. Because, mm-hmm. the, again, you know, we benefit a lot from the architecture of the Internet being mm-hmm. not just founded intellectually in America, but... Um, present uh, physically in America. Okay. And I think when you look at that computing power, we would benefit a lot from that. And frankly, doing that effectively also has ancillary benefits for us. If you look at uh, the energy consumption in the space, which is one of the things that you say, oh, well, I will say Bitcoin isn't perfect. It takes more energy consumption to process transactions than we would all love. Mm-hmm. Look at where that might go with um, you know computing power, Uh, And it's already moved in terms of specialized devices that do this faster, more energy efficiently. Uh, And if we can create a good, efficient energy framework to do that, uh, America could end up being the best destination for that as well.
0: And I even take a step
1: further, right, all of the
0: work we've done showed that uh, there's a ton of investment going into renewable energy uh, production and development because of mining, right? So whether it's flare gas in um, in, in Texas, whether it's uh, the consumption of excess hydropower in, in kind of the Northwest, uh, um, we've got businesses that are taking tires and breaking them down in, into energy and then using them to mine. like again, when there's an economic incentive, people will get innovative, right? And I think that- That's that absolutely easy.
1: right. And for me, one that I think is a mistake to overlook, although it does require, um, you know, government, uh, governments to be more involved to make nuclear work correctly. Um, you know, nuclear is also carbon, uh, you know, negative. It does not have a negative carbon uh, footprint mm-hmm. where a lot of our other energy frameworks do. And frankly, depending on how that's available to uh, industry, uh, that can be a huge competitive advantage for um, our, our economy.
0: For sure. Um, I know you know this question's coming, but uh, if
1: the government would let you, would you take part of your uh, salary in Bitcoin? I would uh, appreciate being able to participate more in Bitcoin <laughs> right now. I'm in a role where uh, it would probably be perceived as unethical for me to be <laughs> very public about what I want to be doing in Bitcoin uh, or any number of other investments. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd be happy to take uh, The standard thing always used to be, if I could give you a quarter million dollars, uh, but you can't get it uh, for 10 years. Do you want it in U.S. dollars or gold? Uh-huh. And almost everyone says, well, I'll take the gold. Yeah. And now, you know, do you want it in U.S. dollars, gold, or Bitcoin? And I think most people would be uh, foolish to not take at least a significant portion in Bitcoin. Yeah. You can have a healthy debate between Bitcoin and gold, mm-hmm. but I think no one rational is going to take it in U.S. dollars. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, and then I ask every guest, uh, aliens, believer, non-believer? Look, I believe God created man in his own image, and I don't believe that he needed to only do that here on planet Earth. All right, if, uh, if you get into any of the,
0: uh, the government files and you, and you find out anything, let us know. Uh, what one question do you have for me to, uh,
1: to finish up? Uh, I mean, how did you get into this? Yeah. You've become this iconic voice in the yeah. space uh we now know you're a national guard army guy yeah Uh, so how did you get into
0: this um all through mining um so i had a a young kid who um, i'd met when he was in high school uh he basically came to me and he literally like held me hostage he was like you got to pay attention to this stuff and uh, i probably was very similar to most people just like this is like a video game, you know, kind of what is this thing? Um, and uh, how he convinced me, he was like, look, uh, my family's been in the data center business for a long time, so I understood kind of the idea of um, you know renting space, bug power and got computing hardware, and you rent that out for cash flow. So, okay. got it. Well, if you buy a different type of computer and you don't go get customers, you instead rent that computing power out to this algorithm that'll pay you in a predictable, transparent way, it's more profitable, Eh, let's go try that, right? And so kind of slowly um, did that, and and it goes to this whole idea of um, the education of folks gets accelerated once you get some skin in the game, Mm -hmm. right? And so literally I made an investment to buy some mining equipment, started, and then just I just like fell really hard down the rabbit hole. I always tell people like, I can sit here all day long and tell you everything that you want to know about Bitcoin and answer all your questions But the best thing you can do is go buy a hundred dollars Like yeah. literally go buy a hundred bucks and sit there and I promise you if I come back in six months You'll know a hell of a lot more You'll, than pay, you know you'll, today. Pay, you'll pay more attention. <laughs> yeah. So how long ago did you start in the mining? Yeah, um, so we started really looking at it in 16 and we built the the big ones um, in 2017 uh, kind of early on and uh, and it was one of these things where um you know, you start to build it, and then we also had layered on top of that, um, a lot of the GPUs that we were using uh, or mining Ethereum or or Ether, uh, and the price went from $10 to $30 to $50 to $100 all in a couple of months. And so I'm actually one of these people who believes like the volatility of price is um, doing a lot of good work in terms of bringing people in because they come for the price. Uh, And somebody said to me, um, you know, I came for the money but I stayed for the money. Yeah. right. <laughs> of this idea of like the price volatility actually is a huge attraction. But once yeah. when, when you start to really understand like what is money, how does it work and, and yeah. why are some of this stuff maybe might be better, um, you kind of stick around because you're like, hey, this is bigger than just, you know, making, uh, making profit.
1: Definitely big. And now um, the other big thing is you know, one of the common questions I get that I feel better if you answer. Okay. Is, uh, so, what's the best digital wallet? People talk about, you know, oh, how, do you, how do you how do you buy and store your Bitcoin? <laughs> you're you're
0: going to get me crucified on live rants on this one. Uh, no, so so uh, I've been pretty public about the fact that. Uh, I'm with you in terms of the privacy aspect. If people own Bitcoin, I actually think that they should not be public about it. Since I am, I've basically given up control of everything. So um, if there's any sort of uh, security things, et cetera, like newsflash, I can't do anything. So yeah. so I'm, I'm probably not a good target. <laughs> um, but but that was a very intentional decision of, hey, I'm going to be public about this and, and kind of be a proponent of it. And so therefore, I need to take those security measures. Um, for the everyday person, um, I actually have kind of two different pieces of advice. So there's some people who are, are more technical in nature. They, they really appreciate understanding the hardware wallets the software wallets, and kind of getting deeper into uh not your keys not your coin etc um, and so for those people uh there's a whole bunch of them online i'm not going to name names but mm-hmm. but the more popular they are usually that means that they've kind of been battle tested by, by the community um, and there's a reason why they are popular uh, but with that said i still think that there is um a entire community of people who are going to come into this that just like you don't hold a bunch of dollars underneath your mattress right you put in a bank and so you do trust some sort of third party. Um, it's not necessarily, uh, you're gonna have to trust a fully custodial uh, type wallet or exchange, but there's going to have to be a significant increase in the usability of the user interfaces, et cetera, because those technical solutions, although they work today, it's just not feasible for you know my mother to come in and use that stuff. And so for her actually, the best thing would be for her to go buy something on an exchange and leave it there, right? That's actually where she's probably the most safe. But I don't think that's a really good long-term solution. So we've got some work there to to build some solutions.
1: Right, same. And if you think about like a corporate treasury, if you look at a company with a significant amount of cash on their balance sheet, to me, anything that's a store of value, you might want that as part of your portfolio. A lot of people feel like, well, gee, Bitcoin moves too much for it, uh, for that to be used as a treasury tool. Some people, I think, believe that's great. And I would say if I were looking at treasury uh, management, I would look at some component being stored in other stores of value besides uh, some digital store of value. Yeah,
0: I, I joke all the time and I say, um, first of all, non-correlated assets actually reduce the overall risk of the portfolio. So if you kind of study any kind of more modern portfolio theory, you get that. But the second piece is uh, volatility has somehow become a bad word. Mm-hmm. and. I have to remind people, volatility works on the upside and downside, right? Right. (laughs) Right? So you can't get returns if you don't have volatility because if something isn't volatile, it just just stays flat. Um, And so I think that it's really uh, just being intelligent about uh, portfolio construction, risk management, and kind of sizing in a portfolio. But uh, I I tend to think that more and more people are going to uh, to see the light a little bit and uh, it's gonna become less of a taboo and just people are more
1: familiar. Okay, one last question for me. So uh, with all the volatility out there, um, with all the market participation Mm -hmm. out there, you would think that would provide a little bit more stability. What explains the volatility?
0: Yeah, so if um, this kind of also goes into like, uh, is the having priced in, right? It is a popular question as well. And, and so um, the way I describe it is like we all look at it as like everyone knows about Bitcoin, right? But it's actually like I think it's like six or seven percent of Americans even know what Bitcoin is or have heard about it. Um, if you look at it from a participation standpoint, even the most um, Uh, kind of bullish predictions um, or projections of like how many people are actually using Bitcoin internationally, it's like 1% of the world's population. And so, you know, go to the having priced in, uh, I always talk about, okay, even if everyone in the Bitcoin community knows it's coming, it's priced in, what about the other 99% of the world's population that's gonna come in at some point in the future? Obviously they have no clue, right? So so from their standpoint, it's not priced in. Same thing goes, I think, when you start looking at um, the volatility, which is, there's not a lot of uh, electronic trading that goes on. Um, And then also there hasn't previously until over the last like 12 months or so, uh, been the ability to short. So long only market, right? right? Right. And and so anytime that you get volatility and you've got a lot of more retail, uh, human emotion driven uh, investors, again, they came for the money, right? Mm -hmm. The people who stick around stayed for the money, um, but there's a big delta between the people who came for the money and get shaken out and not. And so you get these hyper-volatile markets, but um, you know, as everyone knows, the lows continue to be higher. And I think what that really is, is um, the, the most interesting stat to me is the uh, amount of Bitcoins that haven't moved, right? And that number continues to trend upwards. And it's just you know those holders of last resort that are just saying, look, I don't care what the price does. Right. It's kind of the one BTC equals one BTC, um, which uh, which so far has played out pretty well. So we'll see if that uh, if that continues. But I think uh, the volatility will, will slowly dissipate um, over some period of time. Well, those long term holders have certainly been rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, um, they, 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 there's a there's a question that a friend of mine who was a very, very early in Bitcoin. Um, I asked him, I said, uh, at what price would you not buy anymore, not believe? Like, would you capitulate? And he goes, I'll be buying at five cents. And I said, look, man, that, that, that's a, uh, a statement from somebody who uh, isn't here because of money, is here because of some kind of ideological or, or ethos-driven uh, view of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while I think we've all been trained uh, in a different version of the world, um, I think we're starting to see a lot of things you've highlighted that's not working how we thought it was going to work, right? And so um, there's probably going to be that plan B um, whether that comes from the government whether that comes from something like bitcoin or, or there's some other um avenue to pursue i think that you know it's likely every day that that's becoming more and more probable
1: okay well, i can keep asking your <laughs> questions all
0: day all right man listen thank you so yeah. much for doing this i really appreciate it um and then uh, thanks for the people here in uh, in cleveland for uh for having the conference so uh, we'll have to do this again yeah i'd love to thanks absolutely hey everyone pop here if you like this episode of off the chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the apple spotify and other podcast charts please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.